Kane's Country Podcast is being recorded right now. My name is Brett Finger, joined by Andrew Schnicker and Ryan Hankel. How are you gentlemen doing on this Thursday before, the final Thursday before the NHL draft? You know, I'm usually doing good. A little down though, you know, hockey kind of having to hit the, hit the wall, you know, feeling a little down. That's right. It's over. I totally forgot that hockey is over. Uh, the The Lightning won the Stanley Cup. How about that? They did indeed. They did indeed. I'm doing. Um, I'm doing great, actually. Less down. I found uh, some great things to fill my time between football and all this uh, playoff baseball. I'm coming coming to you guys from a uh, a beautiful afternoon on the NC coast here. How are you, Brett? <laughs> You know what? No one's ever asked me that. And you know what? I'm I'm doing well, especially well today, because draft week will be next week. The 6th and the 7th will be NHL draft, all done remotely um, in this 2020 world that we live in. And what's exciting is all the prospects will be given hats of all the teams um, that they can, you know, that's... How do we feel about that? Should who doesn't like free hats? At, at yeah. what point is is it too many? Is it like well, at what point do you have too many hats? I feel like giving um, Alexis Lafreniere thirty one hats is probably unnecessary. Yeah, um, but like it could be a cool like like are they gonna like like they could make some money like sign the hats of the teams that they don't get drafted for if someone views that as like a weird like vintage collector's item or whatever and hey easy birthday christmas whatever holiday celebration you know easy gift there you go yeah i feel like it get predictable at some point though yeah anyway the draft is next week and there are important things to talk about. The Hurricanes have eight picks in the draft, um, including the 13th overall pick, which is uh, which could be used on any number of positions, and no one has aired their opinion on what position that should be um, to this point. Uh, but Don Waddell implied today on the Zoom call that it could be a forward because that's where they feel that their biggest need is, Despite, yes, a lot of people are clamoring for Yaroslav Askarov, the Russian goalie prospect. So, a lot of stuff to cover here. Um, we can start here with Andrew. Uh, what what do the Hurricanes do with the 13th overall pick? Well, I hate to disappoint some people, but um, the first question, that was the first question Waddell got asked earlier by... Um, Waddell and Darren York both got asked by Sarah Sivian of The Athletic was their thoughts on taking a goalie and on Askarov. Um, it's not like they said they weren't, but Waddell certainly didn't seem very warm to the idea. And Ryan was there too, so feel free to chime in if you disagree. But he certainly didn't seem very warm to the idea of taking a goalie. Um, in answering that question, he was very quickly talking about the fact that they – like a forward um, given some of the trades involving forward prospects they've made over the past year or so. And he talked about, you know, goalies having such a high variance. If you take one high and the fact that they've got um, 
Kajitkov last year in the second round, and he's had a good start. So, well, number I mean, number one, Askarov might not even be there at number 13, but at this point, unless that's just a smokescreen to hide their interest, which it very well could be, it would almost be surprising given those comments if they take him over a forward. I would think that they're leaning forward here. Yeah, Darren York also is like, because the question was so specifically, how would you feel about a goalie in the first round? I believe Darren York's comments were, you know, we're just looking at all players. Doesn't matter if they're a forward goaltender or defenseman. We're just looking for the best player to make the team as good as they can be. That's like, they kind of avoided the whole goaltender question or more like we're looking, like Don Waddell said, we're looking at forward. Darren York was just like best player. Remember Tom Dundon said that they would never draft a defenseman in the first round again so long as he lives or something I, like that. So I think I three think straight was, years of a forward. So forward or uh, he didn't goalie. say anything about a goalie. He did sure. not say no goalies. He <laughs> but he he sure said no defenseman. He definitely said no defenseman. Um. So when you look at the players available in that area, obviously Askarov is going to be there. Uh, well, he might not be there because he's so highly touted. Someone might scoop him up, whether it's Nashville or, or Edmonton or someone ahead of Carolina. Um, there's forwards. Jack Quinn uh, had a very good year in juniors last year, scored 52 goals. Uh, he's also the oldest player in the draft, I believe. He's 19, or he's the oldest first-year or something. He's old for draft standards he's 19 and turned 19 last month um jesus christ i'm five years older than the oldest player in the draft yeah so you you would also be an overture for this draft that's correct you're you're on the board though (laughs) you are an option if the hurricanes want to go there um really a really homegrown talent that they would have in you Homegrown is correct. I don't know about that other word. <laughs> how's your uh, How's your north to south skating, Andrew? Are you a north south uh, player or east west player? I'm more of a upright to face down on the ice player. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, there's a need for that across the league. Um, there's Rodian Amarov, uh, another Russian player who played in the USHL. Uh, Seth Jarvis, Hendrix Lapierre. Uh, there's so a bunch of names, a bunch of names, and um, we'll get to in a little bit who we would pick if if we were the Hurricanes, based on our expert draft knowledge uh, that's very uh, deep and extensive on the draft and all the people, because we watched all of them. We've watched every single player play to this point. Every uh, game, every, every shift. Every game, every shift. Uh, we've watched all of it. Um, so, yeah, getting back to the, the Zoom call today with Waddell and Darren York. Uh, he touched on in-house uh, contract talks. Uh, obviously, the big names are Andre Sveshnikov and Dougie Hamilton, who both have a year left on their deals before becoming an RFA for Svech and a UFA for Dougie. And there are a couple RFA names that still need to be ironed out in Hayden Fleury and Warren Fogel. Uh, Ryan, thoughts on what you heard about these situations well first off uh you know uh waddell touched on the special contract and you know as i think elliot friedman had originally reported he was offered i think what was it uh eight by 7.5 or seven by 7.5 it was 7.5 million yeah. yeah it was 7.5 million 
But um, he was offered that. And he apparently turned it down. He's looking for more of a bridge deal. He like it's a team friendly deal. It's not like a cheap. You know, people accused under the cheap deals. It's that was a good offer. It's just a, it was a home home deal offer. And um, so with that, I think what else said is I was looking for a bridge deal, and whether that be like two, three years, however long. And he said he mentioned saying signing such a cup to two years, and then he ideally would want to sign it eight years after that if the cap fluctuates, and then that's ten years of Sachinov that he would be tied to Carolina. And he says both parties are really open to wanting to remain here. It's like Sachinov and his agent representation all want to be here. Uh, with Hamilton, it was a little bit of a different. Waddell said there hadn't been discussions yet about contract extensions, and I think the biggest takeaway from that is that they want to see what happens on the market they want to see what is post-covid value for a high-end defenseman is because with the flat cap and teams with internal cap issues it's really big up in the air about kind of what these defensemen are going to be offered and give dougie the value of the market not necessarily what it was but what it's going to be and especially with alex petrangelo being a ufa this summer It'll be interesting to see what he signs for because they're very comparable in that they're both number one defensemen and they're both right-handed defensemen. Uh, Dougie has three years of age in the good way uh, on Petangelo, who is, I believe, 30 now or is going to be 30, and Dougie's going to be 27 um, at the time that he would need a new contract. So, yeah, uh, Andrew, what do you think? For... Dougie or for Svetch or for both? You can start wherever you want to start. Okay. I mean, with Dougie, yeah, I think it... I think, first of all, it makes sense to me that they're talking about it's more likely that we see a Svechnikov extension this summer than we see a Dougie extension. Because, A, I mean, Svechnikov's an RFA, so it's easier to say, look, like, here's what we want to do. Like, we can, we can make this happen. Dougie knows and his camp knows that he's going to have more leverage when the time comes. Mm-hmm. Plus, it's 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 not that they don't want to keep both. I mean, they do, but obviously Svetsnikov is a significantly higher priority. The bridge deal is interesting because I think it makes a lot of sense with where the flat cap is. It's just, I mean, obviously you're not going to be – what are you looking at? What do you think you're looking at a bridge deal? Maybe like six, six and a half? Probably something like that. What didn't because uh, did Randon get a bridge deal or did he get a long term deal? He no, he I think Line A got a bridge deal at six and a half. Okay, so yeah, yeah, it was Line Yeah, okay, then that's what I was thinking of Line A. Yeah. I I would Uh, imagine it'd be something like that. Well, because I took a look at this when I was looking at like the Hurricanes cap with the flat cap for that next offseason. It's likely that you're still gonna have the flat cap going into the twenty one 22 season if next year because next year like we're they're not starting next season with everyone every team being able to have fans at full capacity so the revenues are probably not going to hit that pre-covid level that they need to for the cap to go up so if you did Svechnikov on a bridge deal then that could help you for that year and maybe two years before the revenues get back and then the cap starts going up and you've got them on a longer term deal and that could also help you it's interesting, like, a bridge deal for Svechnikov could help you keep Dougie. Yeah. Because if it's a smaller raise for Svechnikov, then that can help you absorb that bigger raise and cap hit for Dougie on your cap without get, having to get rid of or let someone walk away that you like. Um, 
But I think, too, with Dougie, I mean, it's going to depend. I think, you know, like we just talked about, Petrangelo, I think, is going to be the one, the number and the deal that Dougie and his camp are probably going to be looking at. Um, And if that is going to take a while, it would not surprise me if that extension does not get done this offseason. But... I mean, as much as you don't like to negotiate in season, I feel like you have to have, you almost have to have. Oh, for sure. Fig, have that figured out before, prior to the 21 trade deadline, I would think. Yeah, because, I mean, he's a UFA, and once Petrangelo gets the deal done, then I feel like they're going to be, I, I feel like that, rushes things a lot with regards to negotiations because honestly in a lot of ways like this is a really like just with regards to negotiations the petrangelo deal being now kind of feels like a perfect scenario for for the hurricanes and for dougie because if there wasn't a big ufa this off season to get signed, I don't know where the numbers would be uh, between them because you don't know what the value of a number one right-hand defenseman is in this economic climate for the league and whatever. And, you know, they're, they're pretty much getting a scouting report of what to do and like an outline of what to do with Hamilton when Petrangelo signs wherever he signs. It, it seems like uh, with re- just with regards to the the ease of negotiations, this is kind of a perfectly timed thing for for Carolina. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that too about in this economic situation because that was something that Dom Waddell actually specifically said that. Um, and you know, teams make long term plans, so I'm sure, especially with the start that he had the last season, they were looking at what a Hamilton deal and extension mm. this summer might look like before everything that happened with COVID. He, he even said, you know, we knew the players value pre COVID, but now we kind of have to watch the market and figure out um, what it is in this world with the flat salary cap and the reduced revenue for everybody. So I think, you know, that's not even just us saying, you know, oh, yeah, here's what they're going to do. I mean, Waddell pretty much point blank said that that's what they're going to do. So we so we move on from the bigger names, and then there are the smaller names, with Flurry and Fogel being RFAs this year. Um, I don't think any of us really ever expected there to be any issue, and Waddell didn't really suggest that there would be much of an issue. I would say no. Waddell felt comfortable signing both of them. But the one takeaway was he, with the the way the revenues are kind of down, he kind of feels that once they do get signed, the Canes will not have much room to operate with like going after any UFAs potentially or like loot or picking up money on a trade. They're really looking to kind of sign those guys. And then it's kind of where they're at for moving forward. Well, and it's not like, like, you know, you're talking about – you're talking about – you're still talking about being within 3 or $4 million of the cap ceiling once you sign those guys. And ideally, you would go into a season with a little wiggle room um, 
anyway for if you want to make pickups at the deadline or whatever. Yeah, so it's yeah. not like the Hurricanes are going to be operating operating under some massively constricted budget. And I mean, like, it's certainly understandable to want to, you know, watch your spending when you basically had six months of zero dollars and zero cents coming in. Um, so, yeah, and I mean, no, I would expect in terms of what those deals look like, I mean... Bogle, I could see maybe getting two years, but Flurry, I would be surprised if it's more than one year because I would think he played really well in the postseason, but that's not a big enough sample size for him to earn like a big contract. And I would think he would want a one year to be able to actually play consistent minutes this year and kind of prove that he's, you know, someone who's worthy of a little bit bigger deal. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, and with Fogel, I feel like it's a little bit easier to give multiple years. Uh, you know, I mean, you you have more of a consistent idea of what Flurry's going to be, which is odd to say because Flurry has not been around as long as Flurry has in the NHL. Um, what? But well, you said you said Flurry three different Fogel, times. <laughs> <Fogel> <laughs> hasn't been around as long as Flurry has in the NHL but you feel like you have a better gauge of what Fogel is at the NHL level, which is easier because he's a forward and it's kind of, you know, you get a better idea. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's probably, it makes more sense to give Fogel multiple years. Um, but you brought up the idea of, of making trades in, in the season. And if you leave three to $4 million in cap space, which is what I thought was going to be about what they had after they got, Fogel and Flurry, um, it, it does leave you with the ability to make a deal at the deadline, uh, see what your team is during the season, and address any needs that you come over. Because we don't know what if Nino Niederreiter or Brian Zingle, if they keep both of them or whatever, uh, what if they have a rough start to the season. They need that money to go out and, and make a move up front or something to that, that kind of deal. So, um, a lot of, a lot of the discussion with, with Waddell on, on the zoom call had to do with next year's schedule and the future of the highly anticipated outdoor game at Carter Finley. Um, what were the big takeaways from that? Yeah, I think um, the thing with the schedule that he said, I think, and we've we've known this before today, I think things have come out, that when the first, return to play first came out, there was a sense of wanting to start the, 21, or the 2021 regular season in, well, I'm, what was it? I think December, December 1st. 1st. And he's saying from what they've heard, you know, they don't really have a date, but the thought is if it's going to start in December, it would be later in December as opposed to earlier um and it could even get pushed back later than that. And then the thing with the outdoor game that he said was, you know, that he was sure there was going to be a push to try to keep it where it is in late February, but that's probably not going to be a realistic option and that they're probably going to be looking at whether they move it to later in the season next year, which you really with an outdoor game in North Carolina, you're probably playing with fire with late February anyway, and you probably don't want to move it much later than that, or it might be 85 degrees for your outdoor game. Um, 
or into the next season, which my two cents would be, it, it seems like into the next season would make sense. You're going to have so much uncertainty with next year with the timing of things and how many fans you can have. And you don't want to have your outdoor game with a limited capacity. And I would think if you move it into the 21-22 season, I hope to God by then that all of this stuff is behind us and things are back to normal. Yeah. Um, we have Twitter questions as well. Um, we have several questions, but they were all draft-related, so we picked one. Um, and we're just going to cover all our bases. So this is from at Bass8151 on Twitter. Who would y'all want to... I'm sorry. Who would y'all want to take with the 13th overall pick if Askarov gets picked up before it? Trade it or use it? And if you want to use it, who would you use it on? And um, we we talked about uh, how maybe Askarov won't be the way that Carolina goes, even if he does get there. There's also a very, uh, there's a very real possibility that, um, that he goes before Carolina gets there. So if, if the hurricanes do not have an, it, let's just imagine Askarov does not exist. Um, and he just does not exist, whether he's taken before Carolina or he just doesn't exist. And you have to pick someone else. Uh, Ryan, who would you pick if you're not picking Askarov? I'm going to ask you that question. Oh, my God. <laughs> Thanks for asking me, Brett. But Yeah, no problem. Um, That's a tricky one because my – I'll be honest. My prospect knowledge is quite limited, but I've been reading a little bit. Uh, you know, Matthew Soma and Alex O'Hare do a good job for the Canes prospects. Uh, Corey Pronman for the Athletic does a good job just covering all of them. I, I like what I read about Seth Jarvis and Jack Quinn, you know, both like Jack Quinn, like a really good shot, you know, like good goal scorer. Seth Jarvis is like good skaters. I like what I read about him. But honestly, if I'm the Canes right now, they have a lot of forward prospects. They have like over 15 forward prospects currently like, in the system. And I would kind of want to use that first round pick. If Askarov is not there, maybe you bundle it and try to get an upgraded goalie. Darcy Kemper. Darcy Kemper would be a very interesting option because they're looking to internally, you know, get a level cap. You move someone like Reimer with a first, probably something else. And does that move the bar towards Kemper? I don't know. I don't know what Bill Armstrong, I don't know if he's set the table and what he's willing to go, what deals he's willing to make. Well, it's also interesting. This is off topic. Um, L, or I believe it was Pierre Lebrun said that the, the Edmonton Oilers were interested in Peter Morazic. I saw that. I did too. And Oliver Ekman Larson, obviously, but more notably to us, Peter Morazic. That would be. Ken Holland drafted him. Yeah. um, That would be something. Uh, Do the Canes have two new goalies next year? What? Is it going to be Darcy Kemper and Yaroslav Askarov? Oh, well, no. As, even if they, even if Askarov <laughs> is like the second coming of Dominic Hasek, he's not playing in his draft year. What about uh, as we continue to stray further and further from this question? What about Darcy Kemper and Henrik Lundqvist? Oh God! Oh my goodness! <laughs> I mean, is I, it is? But it's a Lundqvist curse. I feel like Askarov would be more likely than Lundqvist. Nice. I do. Well, what, yeah, like, no, and I, what if there the was some, curse, you know? 
What if that's the curse is Canes can't win if he's on the ice? I, I, I pose the the idea that um, they should just sign him and just so he doesn't ever play against them ever again. I feel like that would be fine. Because he's like a lifetime 33-11-2 or something against the Hurricanes with like a 9-35 save percentage. Like, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I don't care how old he is. He's going, to, he's going to be the bane of Carolina's existence. But he's you the know, most winningest goaltender against Hurricanes ever, tied with Brodor. Yep. But you know what? His final game in a Rangers uniform was a loss to the Carolina Hurricanes. And if he retires, his final game in the NHL would be a loss to the Carolina Hurricanes. And his final goal against? Andrei Svechnikov for the Hattie. Yeah. That's some dramatic irony right there. Yeah. Like, would you ever have imagined that the la- Henrik Lundqvist's last game as a Ranger or possibly in the NHL would be a loss to the Hurricanes? I wouldn't have put money on that, I don't no. think. Um... So. Anyway, what were we supposed to be talking yeah, about? Yeah, there. I think we had a question. Uh, who do you take with the pick, Andrew? Um, if it's not Askarov, I'd probably go with a guy like Quinn or Jarvis. Just probably go with the best forward prospect available. Um, well, I don't necessarily agree with Tom Dundon's. Uh, hardcore view on taking defensemen in the first round, I would say that unless somebody really slips from that top 10, that there's, it probably does not make sense given the team's current overall makeup, both on the current team and in the prospect pool. So if it's not Askarov, I'm probably taking the best forward available, but like what Ryan just said, I'm totally open to moving the pick for a goalie, for a guy like Kemper. I'm open to moving the pick for, you know, a, a top six in a package for a top six forward. If there's something that makes sense, especially if that can keep the Canes from having to give up a guy like Brett Pesci to get um, a forward they really like. So, if they're making the, if it's not Askarov, who, by the way, despite what was said this morning, I'm totally in favor of taking Me Askarov too. because I think a goalie of the future is something that could really change the Hurricanes' fortunes. And I think the current roster and either taking Askarov or trading the pick, I mean, especially getting a top 15 pick you're not expecting to have, it's not something to throw away. I mean, you really, you, you need to get the decision right. But I would say given the Hurricanes' current makeup with the young players and the prospects – they can afford to gamble a little bit here with what they're going to do with this pick, I think. Go for kind of, you know, high-risk, high-reward type of move. Mm-hmm. Um, we move on to... Well, Brett, what would you do? <laughs> what would I do? Um, yeah. I, I would pick I would pick Askarov. I, I think that they, if they keep the pick, Askarov fills a need uh kachikov is a good prospect i've heard nothing but good things about him yeah uh, but askarov doesn't exist but yeah uh, yeah see but that there's the thing so there that's the real question i can't just use the askarov as a scapegoat um i like jack quinn a lot um from what i've watched of him from what i've read of him goal scorer right shot guy uh agile skater um, a lot of release points on his shot. He's good at getting shots on goal through through traffic. Uh, there's a lot to like with him. Uh, 
Rodian Amarov is a really good skater, really good puck handler, good two-way guy who's responsible. Um, so obviously that would be someone that the Hurricanes would like. Um, yeah, but I, I, Jack Quinn would probably be my first pick. He, he's old for draft standards, uh, especially at that point in the draft, but he scored 52 goals. And, you know, adding adding another guy, you know, he's a smaller guy, but he's he's good on the ice. He avoids hits. He, he moves around well. And uh, in, in these playoff games, when you're losing by a goal, like the Hurricanes have in the past, or they did against the Boston Bruins, having that one other guy who can sneak a shot and from anywhere on the in the offensive zone like Quinn can, that's a lot of value. Um, so, yeah, if it's not Askarov, then Quinn would probably be my top option. Um, moving on to the second part of the question. Uh, if you all had to pick one of the realistic free agents this offseason who would help the Canes most. Craig Smith is just, he would just be a perfect, perfect, perfect fit in Carolina as a middle six forward. Um, I think he's kind of not, I think he's kind of getting overlooked by a lot of people. Um, he's been at generating offense uh, in his isolated impact in the offensive zone is remarkable. He, his defensive zone uh, isolated impact is also extremely good. Um, he's just, he just looks like the player that the Hurricanes would just salivate over and it would be totally all over. And I think he'd fit perfectly in their system. I think he I'm... can score 15 goals. He can score 15 to 20 goals. And he's just such a solid uh, middle six forward option. I mean, he's generating like 20 plus goals as like number two, more than likely number three center in Nashville. A place where offense usually just goes to die. Yeah. Like it's remarkable what he's able to produce there. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. It, his heat maps are like they're unbelievable. The entire offensive zone is red. Like it, it doesn't make any sense what he's doing on that team in particular. Um I believe uh according to Micah McCurdy and Hockey Viz, his offensive isolated offensive impact, uh, his shot impact uh is plus 20% compared to league average, which is mind-boggling um especially for a forward in that environment in nashville it's um it's really really impressive andrew well i don't know about you guys but personally i think it would be cool to see the hurricanes win the stanley cup next season <laughs> yes. and oh I, yes of course i know uh, where this is going i know where this is going you so, deserve a pat on the back for this suggestion. Well, thanks for the spoiler. It's, um, well, you know, yeah, no, only, the, only, the still... only the scholars, only the scholars can pick up on that joke. That's true. That is made. Um, no, my my pickup would definitely be uh, Patrick Corey Stillman Maroon. That's right. That's right. First, um, yeah, he's the, he's the first player to win the Stanley Cup in back to back years with different teams. Since Corey Stillman did it um, in 2004 and 2006 with the Hurricanes, which, by the way, last time the Lightning won the Stanley Cup, there was a delay to the start of the next season, which we are going to have right now while they sort all this out. Well, there not, wasn't even a season. Not as long as a delay as there was that time, but <laughs> yeah, the next team to win the Stanley Cup was the Carolina Hurricanes. But honestly, no, I was joking around with um, – 
with somebody on Twitter about this the other night, all um, superstitions aside, I think Patrick Maroon would be a good pickup. He's a veteran guy. He adds a physical presence to your forward lineup. He can get to the front of the net, especially on the power play. He can score goals. He's got, um, you know, the Hurricanes have got guys now who have been in the playoffs and, you know, kind of understand what it takes. But I definitely don't think it's a bad thing when you can add um, two Stanley Cup rings to your room either. So um, I'm not sure how realistic it is because given the fact that he is coming off two Stanley Cups, he might, somebody might be willing to kick a few extra dollars his way for that, that the Hurricanes might not. But in the flat cap world, you never know. So, Patrick, well, he did take a pay cut to go to Tampa. I mean, he took a sizable pay cut to take go to a, Tampa, didn't he? Who, who wouldn't take a pay cut to go to Carolina then? So, <laughs> that's fine. Um, yeah, uh, that makes sense. Uh, another Nashville guy is that we've talked about is Mikhail Granlund. Um, potentially more flashy offensive upside. He's a very talented player. Not more fetch goals. Yeah, there you go. Um, so it, there, there are multiple options that that, that can make sense there. Um, I think if you're unaware, to any listeners, Granlund scored the uh, lacrosse goal at a, I think it was a junior tournament. He did for Team Finland. Yes, against Russia. Yes, look it up. Look it up. Um, baseball. Let's just close it out with some baseball. Um, Brian's favorite. God love them. Diamondbacks did the not bases. make the postseason. They expanded they the postseason. Right where they want him. Right they, where they want him. <laughs> they expanded the postseason, and the Diamondbacks just couldn't. They couldn't sneak in there. Unfortunately, there was a moment there where they they were like going even. They were near five hundred point five, and then it just all went downhill. Was there a moment when that was a thing that was happening? They were had as many wins as losses at one point. It was like 24, 20, 26 or something. It was like really close. And then it, they <laughs> lost 15. Um, I would like to just write just real quick. Um, this is pre- the, the podcast is pretty much over, so I, it's, it's whatever. Um, I'm just going to look up something here. I just want to see if there was any point in the season that they were exactly 500. Who, the Diamondbacks? Yeah. Maybe early. No. Um, (laughs) So they started 0-2 before they got their first win, so that was not a thing. There was, there was. So from August 16th to August 20th, no, August 20th, 16th to the 20th, they were at or above 500. So that was there. There was a five day span there where they were 11 11, all the way up to 13 13, uh, where they were at or above 500. So there was a small stretch there where they could have made a run because if you look at these playoff teams, I mean, they weren't not many of them were I mean the Reds were what 30 and 31 and 29 the Brewers uh, were the Brewers 29 were and 31 as the eight yeah. seed they're below 500 so if they had just maintained the pace uh that they were at in mid August they could have been a playoff team but instead they finished 10 games below 500 and were at one point <sighs> at one point they were 14 games below 500 
that uh, happens. That coronavirus hotspot just didn't kick in for them like they thought it would. Yeah, they didn't. You know, well, actually, they thought you, you they could, thought early. You, know, you could the Marlins, debate. Like, <laughs> they they, they had a they had a road trip, and that at the end of the road trip they were twenty and thirty four on September twentieth, and then they finished the season at home in the hot spot, and they finished uh, with five wins and one loss on that homestand. There you go. Oh yeah. But anyway. The Braves beat the Reds in consecutive games. And the first game was the worst game I've ever watched in my entire life. Uh, maybe any sport. Um, it was 13 innings of 0-0 baseball that mercifully ended when the MVP of the league, uh, Freddie Freeman, uh, drove in the game-winning run in the bottom of the 13th inning. And what's interesting is Andrew, before the year... You doubted the Braves. You said that the Phillies were going to win the division. They didn't make the playoffs. Um, you won some, you lose some. But then you then you doubled down, and you let your love for Mike Moustakis, I think, blind you in picking the Reds over the Braves as well. No, and also the Sunday no, no, no. the Reds. You know. No, no, no. My love for Mike Moustakis let me cheer for the Reds. <laughs> My logic for picking the Reds over the Braves was sound. It was it sound. Was, it was sound. It was a three-game series, and in that three-game series, the Reds would be trotting out at starting pitcher Trevor Bauer, Luis Castillo, and the one we unfortunately do not end up getting to see pitch, Sonny Gray. Find me That's a better me. one, two, three punch of starting pitchers in Major League Baseball. Max Freed, Ian Anderson. That's all you need. Apparently. No, I. The issue was, I guess, the Reds just literally cannot hit. I mean, they they it did was not pain, it was, in the series. Yeah, they went. They set a new major league record for most innings without a run to start a postseason. They went twenty-two innings, breaking the old record, which I believe was the nineteen seventeen Giants. Um, nineteen seventeen. So over a hundred years ago was the last time that the Reds or any team um, was that incompetent offensively, and the Reds were that bad. It was bad. It was bad. I watched most of that series. Was anything else in baseball notable? Yes. The Minnesota Twins have lost (laughs) 18 straight playoff games. It's the last time that the Minnesota Twins – I have been graduated from college for over a year. The last time the Minnesota Twins won a playoff game, I was in second grade. And also the Twins doing that means that the cheater, cheater, pumpkin eater Astros are into the next round and nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. Um, Brett, I would like to point something out here. Yeah, I was about to say, Ryan, would you like to contribute? to this conversation i just i i found my my old my old predictions from many podcasts ago oh yeah i went 11 for 16 in my playoff predictions you did i oh, predicted okay. 11 of the teams totally that made it three i think three of i uh my my uh my tigers didn't come through your tigers didn't uh, come through. Neither, that was a really bad my diamondbacks uh i also had the mariners who are you know pretty close they, I don't I think had, they were. 
No, they were they were pretty close. They were twenty seven to thirty three. You know, oh, well, some... that is pretty close. I had the Nationals didn't make it. No, the uh, Nationals had a rough Phillies, year. The Phillies didn't make it. No. And those are the five teams: though. the Phillies, Nationals, Diamondbacks, Mariners, and Tigers. I predicted every other ones right. I'd say the Mariners and the Tigers were the only two like awful like yeah picks yeah. out of those. The Diamondbacks were solid. Yeah, well. We, that's an exception. That's a special pick for you, and I'm not gonna harp on that one because it was an emotional pick that you made with really sound logic behind it. I, I like to say that's pretty good odds, though. I feel like I, yeah, I got good. I mean, you you really good. did. Um, I believe I predicted a Minnesota Atlanta World Series, and I forgot that Minnesota is Minnesota. So, um. It gets cold like Minnesota. <laughs> and with that, <laughs> we're going to end the podcast. Um, <laughs> this has been the Canes Country Podcast. Uh, <laughs> for most of it, anyway. <laughs> yeah, for, for some of it. Andrew, where can the people follow you on Twitter and only Twitter? At A-S-C-H-N-I-T-T-5-3. Ryan. Uh, at R-Y-A-N-H-E-N-K-E-L underscore. You can follow me at Brett underscore finger on Twitter. You can follow Kane's Country at Kane's Country on Twitter. Follow along on Facebook as well. Read this site. Talk to you next week. Goodbye. <laughs>